Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Before I go to the opening scripture, I just want to say um, I, I, I overviewed my, my messages and the things that I've taught throughout the years, and I don't, I don't think I've ever done a series as an adult on, on family, on marriage, on sons and daughters, uh, yet that is one of the most precious things in God's eyes. I want to start by saying what I said during the announcements. What if revival doesn't look like only mass amount of people coming to the altar? What if revival looks like healthy marriages? What if revival looks like healthy family? Uh, Prophet Jeremiah Johnson, who is a very reputable um, uh, prophet in the, in the nation, whether you like him or not, uh, one of the things he said is the, the end time, one of the end time moves of God is not only uniting the family, but having healthy families and ministering together as a family. You know what I'm contending? I'm contending not only for families to be restored. I'm contending that families will be united together to be used together in the work of the Lord. That's what I want. I want to see moms and dads with their sons and daughters ministering together. I want to see that. You may say, well, they may be called to business. It doesn't matter. They can still minister as a family together. And I believe that we need to start contending again. Because here's the first slide. The Lord established the concept of family. Now, if you know me, like this is, this is something that, um, how do I say this? I, I, I'm, I'm usually known for, for messages on holiness and, 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 and inner healing and the power of the Holy Spirit. But I feel like this is something that as a pastor I need to bring to our church because I have to answer before the Lord. And I want to have a disclaimer here. Here's a disclaimer, and which is for me, but it's also for you. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. If we waited until we are perfectly uh, perfect in our family to teach about family, no one in here would qualify to teach on family. If we waited until we had the model marriage and the model sons and daughters and the model family unit to be able to speak upon family with confidence without the attack of the enemy saying, oh, you're a hypocrite, then nobody in this room will be able to grab a microphone or even talk about family. So the disclaimer is there's no perfect family. The other part of it is that there's hope for a broken family and there's restoration for those who've even had divorce and are on a new chapter of your life. God does want restoration in your heart and God still will and can use you because we're under his grace. Amen. Now, I want to just say this because the Lord established the concept of family and I don't know if you've noticed church. But in America, like no other time in, I believe, history, the family is under attack. And the definition of family, if I could be bold, the definition of marriage is, is drastically trying to be reshaped and redefined by society. And the church, if we're not careful, could cause the, the, the little uh, wave of the culture to slowly creep in the church and allow things that are not supposed to be in the family unit. 
Now, yes, we need to uh, respond in love when crazy people come in and, 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 and into our spiritual uh, community. That's a different context. But in our family, we need to raise them right, and we have to be able to know what the Bible says. Now, I want to I wanna share this, this next slide with you because um, a couple of years ago, I did some study, so it took me about a couple of weeks, and that's why I asked Enrique to preach last week. Didn't he do an amazing job last week? Enrique uh, pre- preached it uh, the, against the spirit of religion. Whew. That was awesome. And when he turned to Matthew 23, I was like, okay, here it goes. You know, <laughs> Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. I'm like, hypocrites. I'm like, oh, hey. <laughs> A couple years ago, uh, some secular sociologists got together, and they, they viewed the American family. They were interviewing the American family. They were interviewing many, many families. You know what they found? Put this next uh, slide. They found a sobering quote. And the quote is this, in the next five years or so, look at this, if the American family does not return to healing and a biblical parallel, our democracy and social structure as we know it is at the risk of collapsing. In the next five years, sociologists, secular, secular sociologists said, if the American family does not return to healing and a biblical parallel, our democracy and social structure, as we know it, is at the risk of collapsing. Do you know what happens when the enemy could come in and hurt and divide the family? Is that now values are split apart. Now there's not four people with the same value. There's one or two people with the same value. And the Bible says a house divided cannot stand. In another, uh, in another translation, it says families. In the NLT, divided cannot stand. And that is why the enemy is attacking the families. Because if he could get them divided in values, one person believes in this, one person believes in this, one person in the family believes in this political party, one person believes, and then all of a sudden, the family is not together. And I'm here to tell you, if we don't fix it and come back into biblical parallel, our democracy is at risk. You say democracy, yes, because where there's division, there's going to be a fight against that free democracy that we have. And this is the opening scripture. This is why we need to know the promise that the Lord gives. I'm going to give you some scriptures today, and some of them are very uh, popular, uh, but I want you to hear them from the context of, listen to me carefully, of you doing something intentionally about your family. When you hear this message today, I don't want you to elbow your, your, your partner. I don't want you to elbow your son and say, you better listen to that pastor. No, I want you to elbow yourself. Seriously, I want you to be like, ooh, that's good for me. Ooh, I need to change this. Ooh, I need to come back in line and not wait for my mom and dad to get right for me to get right. Some of us, we have broken and wounded relationships that you are waiting for somebody to apologize to you, and that is not biblical. You cannot wait for the other person to get a revelation that they hurt you so that you could be proactive to restore your marriage, your kids, and your family. Well, my kids hurt me. Well, you're the father, and you're you're the mother. You're better than that. You need to humble yourself and maybe admit that you hurt them too. I got three amens to that. Look at the promise. The very last scripture of the Old Testament. Very last. God is into families. Say that with me. God is into family. The very last scripture, and I understand you theologians out there, that this scripture in Malachi is talking about returning uh, the heart of Israel to their spiritual fathers and the children's father. It is talking about that, but it's also a prophetic sign 
of restoration between physical families. I've heard great theologians talk about this topic, and they all agree that there's two or three uh, revelations implicating these verses, not only for the children of Israel, but this promise is for us today. How many of you, before I read the scripture, and I want you to be bold with me and transparent, have at least one family member in your either immediate family or in your relative family, your distant family, that has either hurts you or that there's some division there? Some hurt or they're, they're, you're not talking to them anymore or, or, the, or the relationship is fractured. You're talking to them, but there's a little bit fractured. Okay. There's about 50, 60%. Look at this promise in Malachi. This is the last scripture before the New Testament came. Several hundred years later. But look at what it says. Look, in the NLT, everyone follow with me now. This is important. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching... Will turn, thank you, Lord, the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the of their fathers, the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Let me tell you. Look up at me. The Bible says that that this there's going to be a prophetic movement, okay, of prophetic preaching. In the sense of the spirit of Elijah and his preaching, in other words, his, the, the preacher's declaration in these last days, they're going to bring a wave of family restoration. It's going to bring a wave of returning sons and daughters back to their fathers and mothers in relational sense. And the hearts of the fathers and the sons back to their, uh, uh, sorry, fathers and mothers back to their sons and daughters. And I believe some distant relative as well. Why? Because there is an agenda from the enemy to divide and conquer marriages and families so that we can be impotent in the spirit. That we will be powerless Because the hurt that comes from a wounded, broken, or fractured family sometimes takes years to recover, and it almost silences. Oh, I feel the Lord. If you know anything about a hurtful split in a family, the, the aim of that is to silence you for years. So you could wallow in the pain and regret from that division. That's why God started it in the very beginning. He started with Adam and Eve. Pause for reflection. Adam and Eve, it was impossible to have a family without a man and a woman. Impossible. It was impossible. God established it in the beginning. And so uh, I was reading these scriptures, and it's our responsibility to take care of our family when we see them in need. Not just widows, and I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit, because the Lord does command those who are truly widows to be taken care of by family. But when I started researching it, and I read it from a different, um, a different uh, translation, I realized that it, the scripture doesn't say only just in that context, it doesn't only say the man shall provide for the widow or the, the husband only. It does say that in previous verses. But I feel like I took some principle out of 1 Timothy chapter 5 and 8. Look how it reads in the NLT. Yes, it's talking about providing for widows, so I make no doubt about that. But I want to take, take an illustration out of this scripture. But those who don't care, come on, read that with me. This is pretty deep. Those who won't care for their relatives, that's, 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 that's d- little distant relatives, right? Uncles, maybe aunts and, 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 
and grandmas and grandpas, watch this, especially those of their own household, if they don't care for them, they've denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. I'm going to read that again. But those who won't care for their relatives, let that hit you, please. Especially those of their own household. If you don't care, if you don't show care, all right, which we're going to define a little bit later, of your own household, you've denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. You know what the Lord spoke to me? Some of us have used to be praying for our family members to get saved, and because they're years without them getting saved, we've stopped praying for them, and we're like, you know what, forget about them. I don't even care for them anymore. Let them go their way because I'm done praying for them. I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. I used to pray for years and years and saw no change, and the Holy Spirit reminded me that's a part of caring for their family too is you praying for them and not giving up on them. Don't raise your hand, but if we could be honest, we all have that crazy uncle or that crazy grandma or that crazy aunt or that crazy son or that crazy dad or mom, right? We all, some people said amen. You're getting flashbacks, right? (laughs) We all have somebody in our family that it's hard to talk to. It's hard to, 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 to have unity in, but that should not stop your role as a Christian, as a believer, to care for them. Thank you for that, 10 amens, right? Malachi 4 then predicts that there's going to be a massive move of the Holy Spirit, and I believe is going to bring family restoration and family unity. Now watch this. I, I did this study. One of the reasons why the Jewish people, and listen, you got to listen to this. One of the reasons why the Jewish people have lasted so long and perpetuated their faith from generation to generation after years of being in bondage and slavery to the, I mean, to the Babylonians, a rulership over the, uh, over the, from the Egyptians, from the Romans, attacks from the Philistines, the Holocaust. Do you know that the reason why the Jewish people have their centralized creed. How many know that the the central creed of the Jewish people is called the Shema, right? And that is found in Deuteronomy 6, and we quote it all the time, but I started studying it. The central creed of the Jewish uh, uh, faith, of the Jewish people, the reason why they have lasted the the test of all the thousands of years of horrific, horrific treatment. Have you guys read the Bible lately? The Jewish people have suffered greatly. Why is it that the Jewish people still have family dynamics and, and the scriptures in place and after thousands of years of the enemy trying to eliminate them, yet the American family, they, they can't even uh, uh, have a biblical time together for the first five years of their, of their existence sometimes. I'll tell you why. It's because the Jewish creed, the Shema, actually says something that is very deep and gives us instructions of what we're supposed to do in our family. And I'm going to say this before I read it. Let this hit you like it hit me. Because every now and then, we need to have an ouch moment. (laughs) All right? We need to have an ouch moment on, am I doing this with my family? What I'm about to tell you, if you do this, this is what the Jewish people have done for centuries to be able to perpetuate their faith and not extinguish their faith. Look at what, this is the Jewish creed, the Shema, is in Deuteronomy 6. Most of you know this, that no scripture. Verse 4 through 7, I want you to see, this is the number one creed of faith for the Jewish people. And look at what the Bible says they have to do in order to sustain their family unity. Watch this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and your strength. Look at me real quick. Look at me. We all know that part. 
We stop at that. But they don't do that. They actually memorize this whole scripture. And watch what they, it says next. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart. Listen. With all your soul, with all your strength. Look at the next verse. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Are you ready for this? And you shall teach them to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Oh, wait, wait a minute. It's not just, I love you, Lord, with all your, my heart and strength. The Lord says, this is the Jewish creed. This is the Shema. I will love the Lord, your God, my God, with all your strength. And they actually repeat it together. With all your mind, my mind, strength, and, and, and soul, right? Then the Bible says, the Lord says, you will teach them it to your children. Watch this. And when you come home, I'm, I'm modernizing it, from a hard day's work, and you sit down in the house, Talk about these things. That means when they come back, come here, kids. Come here. Long day at work. Ready? Ready? We shall love the Lord our God. And they all start praying with all our heart, with all our soul, mind, and strength. And they continue with the declaration of their creed. You know why? Because they're passing it down. I'm going to give you a hint. You know why the Jewish people have stood the test of time? Because that the Jewish community knew that the mothers and fathers and grandmas and grandmas and aunts and uncles needed to rally behind the next generation and pass down what they have learned to the next generation. So much so that they do it every day in their house. Let that convict us. Do you talk about the scriptures? To your children, or do they just see you on Sunday morning raising up your hand? Do you raise your hand in private? Do you open the scriptures in private? Do you study in private? I love that. Jaden, I'm not trying to embarrass you, but there was a, a couple times that he just moved me. He doesn't even know that I'm saying this. You can punch me later, okay? I, I said, I said, Papi, you know, I call him Papi. I said, hey, it's time, it's 1030, it's time, to, it's time to go to bed, right? So, you know, because he's still, you know, in high school, so I got time to go to bed. And there's no answer, right? Jonathan, he's in college, so I let him go, right? So then I go to his room, I go to his room, and there's nobody there. I'm like, Jaden, 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 what, what's going on? And finally, I open his closet, and he's literally in his closet, prayer closet, he's taking that literally, in his closet with a light on, opening up his Bible, And a light on, and he's like, just five more minutes, I'm almost done. And he's reading the scriptures. I'm proud of him for that. Because I didn't tell him to do that. You know how he picked it up? Because he has his own relationship with Jesus. And he's he's not, amen. And he's not any longer living off the coattails of his mom and dad. Let me tell you something, moms and dads. you got to get to a place where you challenge your children to have their own relationship with God. And you know that scripture? You know that scripture that, that, I, that I read right now and that the, Jew, the Lord told the Jewish people to sit and talk to the home? You could ask them, what do I do every night before I, we go to bed? I pray the same prayer over him. He comes in, and I lay hands on him, and I say, you shall love the Lord your God. with our, Isn't that right? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and your strength. You know what? Sometimes it's like, uh, it's okay. It doesn't matter. I'm praying that thing in. Hey, hey listen, don't, don't worry about it if they're just like, you pray that thing in. 
You pray that thing in. And you know what? You know what you're going to do? When you train up a child in the way it should go, it doesn't mean that they're not going to falter. That means they have the word so much in them that they won't last out there for long. They won't last out there for long because they, mom and dad kept drilling me, kept drilling me. And you hear the word and the word, and you're like, stop following me. No, I'm going to follow you because your parents made sure that the word of God was in you. You shall teach them to your children, and when you sit down in your house. Are we teaching the scriptures to our children? Do you talk about the Lord in your house? We're talking about families this morning. This is why the Jewish people lasted so long. And I could go on and on about families. I'm going to skip through time. That when someone in the Old Testament was called and anointed, they would call them by their families. Uh, I will anoint David from the house of Jesse. It was so important to the, to the Lord. The family is so important to the Lord. As a matter of fact, genealogies, which is, I hate to say, boring to me. Nine to ten chapters in the book of Chronicles before you even say anything about anything. It's, and this person begot this, and this person begot that, and that person begot that, and Sanchez begot this, and Sotolongo begot that, and Harvest begot that, and whatever. I'm like, can you just get to the real stuff, Lord? But you know what the Lord told me? He goes, why do you think I put that in there? Because I value families. It's boring to us, but God says they are part of a family, and I want to honor the family. This is so good. By the way, even in judgment, I did a study. When judgment was pronounced, sometimes in the back of the days, you know what they do? Remember when Achan, when Achan uh, his name was Achan, and he, and he kind of sinned, but kind of secretly? You know, you know what happened? The Lord says, get every tribe out, and then from the tribes, select the families. Families. And then out of their families, then we're going to pick up an individual. And, then, and, and judgment was pronounced on that. Remember Korah? I believe it was Korah where they pronounce it on their whole family. Let me tell you something. It's time that we take the reins again of our family and release the, 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 the prayers of faith and the scriptures over our family. Leave the rest up to God. That's a little thing. You're the sower and you're the planter. Let God do the increase. One plants, one sows, God gives the increase. Now listen to me. Zoom in to me because some of you are not going to like this. The number one threat to America... The number one threat to America is not the homosexual agenda. The number one threat to America is not the Republicans or Democrats or the president. I know some of you may think, no, 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 no. That's not the number one threat. The number one threat in America is the disintegration of the family and how the family is supposed to look like and function. Give the Lord a praise for that. The number one threat, church, is not who's in the White House. The number one threat is not who is in office. It's the disintegration of the family. Where society is trying to redefine what marriage is and what, what sons and daughters is and what family is. So much so that, that since for, for years, from the very womb, there's been a try to attack to abort life. The babies, I'm here to tell you, we are pro-life. Some of you guys may that are new, I want to tell you that, unashamedly, I am pro-life. Because you don't spill the blood of innocent uh, uh, babies and not require some sort of judgment if there's no repentance. 
the number one threat. Why do you think that King Herod was attacking? I mean, that is so wicked. Guys, you, could you imagine uh, someone that's so afraid of a deliverer that he caused the murder of every male child in the land? Could you imagine if there was an order in America where, where there, there was a prophecy that someone's going to take over the United States of America and be the greatest president there ever was, and he was a Christian man or woman, and he spoke in the Holy Ghost, Right? Could you imagine that prophecy came and, the, and one president said, I want you to go through every city of the United States and slaughter, slaughter every male born child. Could you, I mean, I was thinking about the other day when I was praying about this. What did those soldiers think as they were getting ready to kill them? Well, I mean, did they have a conscience? They must have been like, this is crazy. Are you kidding me? And they went about doing it. Could you imagine the horrific? I don't want to try to be graphic, but you know what? That is a sign of the enemy from the get-go wants to destroy the families because they have destiny. I said that, and I said it before. The number one, I said it years ago, is because the, when the family is destroyed, then the kingdom of God suffers. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I, I, <laughs> I, wrote, I read something here. Uh, and again, I'm not endorsing or not endorsing. I'm just saying a quote, okay? So calm down. It's like, hey, what? Arnold Schwarzenegger, just calm down. I'm just... He says something 20 years ago. When I'm studying about the family, I'm, I'm reading different quotes that pop up about families, and, and I'm just re- reading a lot of material. And about 20 years ago, he said something, something deep. I mean, other than I'll be back, you know. <laughs> he said, and I quote, America... It's on the verge. <laughs> America is on the verge of, <laughs> of social anarchy because the family, this is what he said, is no longer the dominant feature of the American culture. I'm going to say that again. America is on the verge of social anarchy because the family is no longer the dominant feature of the American culture. Without raising your hands, because I don't want to embarrass you, if you have been a victim of a split in a family, you realize how horrific that season is. It's swirling with identity issues. Am I good enough? I am not good. I'm, I'm, I'm horrible. And all your identity is attacked because the, of the family. And maybe now you're just holding it together, and you're not telling anybody, and you're silently being fractured. There's silent fractures. In, in your home, and you're not telling anybody about it, and the Lord wants to restore that, which leads me to the next, to, to the next thing, because I, I want to, guys, I want to rally about this, and I want you to rally about it. I'm here to announce that God has not given up on the family. God has not given up on marriages. God has not given up on restoration, and I don't want you to give up on family. I don't want you to give up on your kids. God has not given up on your family. I know testimonies of here of miracles of people holding on that if they would have given up, their family would not have been intact today. Say amen. Look at this next, this next slide. I have to hurry. One of the things we must do in order to see our families come into healing and restoration is to recognize the things that have caused wounds and fractures in your family. Listen to me. This is important. We need to recognize when the fracture occurred and how the fracture occurred. Please hear me because uh, a lot of times when fractures and brokenness happens in our family, we bury it to the side. I love, Kehlani, what you posted yesterday because that you don't know that that's one of my main statements that I say because it's, it's actually exposing a lie. We have been taught in the church 
from a pure standpoint to forget about your past. Don't worry about your past. I've preached it before. Don't let your past stop you. And that is true if God has forgiven you of something that you ask forgiveness of. But it's what God doesn't want you to forget is the painful experience of your past that you have been so wounded by that your mind convinces you it just, just, just bury it. It never happened. Just don't talk about it. But if you don't talk about it, God will never be able to open up that area to heal you. So you have to sometimes remember your past that you force yourself to forget so that you could go deep into your childhood and God could reach way back and heal those things. We don't like that kind of preaching because I'm not talking about condemnation. I'm talking about making you remember those things even though it's painful so that you can eventually get healing. I've been going through therapy now, and sometimes I'm excruciating. You know why? Because some of the therapy, they warned me. They said, if we do this therapy on you, more blood flow is going to come. I go, okay, great. That's what I need. They said, but be careful because it's going to reawaken dead nerves, and that process is painful. And, boy, when I get out of there, I'm like, oh. But you know what I say to myself? You're coming alive. You're awakening out of the dead. Recognize when. Everybody say when. And how? Everybody say how. I want to challenge you to recognize the when, the when, some family dynamic has gone astray recently or in the past. When? And I'm going to ask you to recognize how it happened. And then the third thing I'm going to say is this. When the Lord reveals the when and the how, God asks the Holy Spirit how you can be an instrument to be the answer of healing or the instrument of healing in that. You say, well, it's not up to me. Yes, it is up to you. I'm going to tell you this in this series. You know, the Bible says, as much as it concerning you, seek peace with all people. As much as concerning you in the book of Romans. But here's our role. Everybody say our role. We all have a role that we need to play, that we need to apply in our families. Are you ready? Here's the role. In first, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, 17. This is not just for preachers only. This is for you and I. Everybody say, this is for me. What I'm about to tell you, I'm about to tell you something that some preachers don't tell you. I'm about to give you one of the main, your main uh, calling and one of your main ministry definitions. Right? Are you ready? You're like, well, but I have my own calling. Yeah, you, you, you're right. But I'm going to give you something that everyone here has the duty to do. Verse 17 and 19. We all know this by heart. Look at this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Amen. And has given us, everybody say us, the ministry of reconciliation. Oh, man. It didn't just say preachers. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to the word of, sorry, committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, yes, that means we are being used to reconcile people back to God. But it also means that same spirit that lives in us is called the spirit of restoration, has the ability to restore broken and fractured relationships. But you have to be willing to open up your mouth, and to seek it out. Here's a little tip for you. I see this all the time in counseling sessions. Don't do this. A, this is a sign of it's all their fault. It's all their fault. And I recognize that there's real hurt. But I'm here to tell you, the definition of reconciliation, watch this now. This is going to be, I'm getting somewhere. In the Greek, look that up. In the Greek, that word reconciliation means this. To return 
to delightful favor. It's going to be on your screen. The word reconciliation in the Greek means to return to delightful favor with one another. When one ceases to be angry with one another, that's the word reconciliation. Think about it. To, be, to have delightful favor with one another, to, to, to not, sorry, to cease to be angry with one another, or cease to be, uh-oh, offended with one another. Cease to be offended with another. That's what the word reconciliation means. He's given us the ministry of this, right? So remember this definition, right? Because I looked up the, uh, in, the, in the strong concordance how many... Uh, Stephen, you probably use this good old-fashioned concordances. I used to have before, before technology, I used to have three books in front of me. I used to have my Bible in front of me, a strong concordance that was like super thick, and then like a topical dictionary, Bible dictionary. And I would just like search and search and search. And um, I still do that from time to time through apps. And so the Strong's concording, uh, concordance definition for reconciliation is atonement. Now think about this. Wow. Atonement. One of the words for reconciliation is the word atonement. And I'm going to read the definition of atonement, and then we're going to come up with a combined definition of the word reconciliation based on the Greek and based on the definition of atonement. Watch this. This is deep. The word atonement literally means to repair or heal an offense or hurt between people. A tear or uh, to heal a tear or an offense or hurt between people. Right? So then I'm going to, I'm going to look down because I can't memorize this, Okay. So then the definition of reconciliation it's for you and I, for our families, in the context of family with Greek word definition and the word atonement is this, quote, God has given us the ministry of repairing and healing any circumstance of offense, hurt, and injury between people. He's given us that ministry. He's given us the ministry to help cease being angry and offended with one another so we can be restored to favor with one another. It's a mouthful. But what that means is God has given you that ability through the Holy Spirit to repair. I will have an announcement to make. You may be broken, but inside of you, you are a repairer. You have the ability to repair because he has given you the ministry of reconciliation, which is the ability to repair. It's the ability to repair. I'm here to say I'm going to be transparent. Won't mention any names. But in 2018, I had some really bad, um, not, not just family, but spiritual family hurts. That there was tears. There was offense. There was uh, leaving. There was uh, separation. You fast forward five years later, and I have been intentional most, most, most of the time, it was me going after. Some of the times, it was others going after me. So I will admit that. But I could honestly, lovingly say with a pure heart that all those relationships have been restored. I, I'm telling you, all of them, not some, all. Some of you that may know closely may know who. There's, it's all. And it's beautiful. You know why? Because when time, that, when reconciliation came, you have two choices. You could humble yourself you can humble yourself and talk about your issues even if they hurt you. Or, or you could close yourself off and say, I'm not talking to them because they hurt me. And they always hurt me. There is a repair. You don't have to be best friends with them now, okay? But you do have the ministry of reconciliation. Now, I'm going to go quickly. What are some causes that lead to a fracture or wounded family dynamic, all right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pop them off kind of quickly. What are some of the causes that leads to a fractured? The first one is 
divorce and separation. The church doesn't like to talk about that, but I'm not bringing condemnation on anybody. Please hear my heart. But you have to admit that that does bring hurt. There's a brand new start. God gives you grace. God forgives you. But what brings wounds to the family, please hear me, zoom in. I'm only saying this by the fear of the Lord. And those of you who say that I'm apologizing, I'm not apologizing now, okay? What I am saying is I'm about to say something that I know is going to cut deep, but I promise you I'm saying it in love. Like Enrique was quoting Matthew 23, and he was smiling while he was saying, you hypocrites, right? (laughs) I'm going to tell you in love that divorce and separation doesn't only tear apart the marriage. It doesn't only tear apart a covenant. It tears apart children, and it tears apart adult children. Not just little children. Some of you are dysfunctional not even knowing it with your spouse and family because you've been torn apart when you were little by divorce, separation. And you know what? This may sound old-fashioned to you, but uh, Janice, she came from a, a, a generational, almost generational bondage of divorce. And thank God I didn't. But she was scared and petrified of marriage because she was afraid that the same thing that happened to her parents and her, her grandparents and her grandparents were going to happen to her. Well, what I, the reason why I say old-fashioned because it's biblical. We went to a, an encounter one time, and we broke those generational curses off of our life. Come on. And I'm happy to say we've been married for over 25 years. Come on. And God is in the business of family restoration. I've only been with one woman all my life. That should be celebrated. That doesn't, that, by the way, that's not celebrated anymore. Virginity is not celebrated anymore in the church. Purity is like if I say, if I say yeah, me and my wife were virgins when we got married, and we were, right? And we're like seven, eight years apart. Help me, Lord. We were both virgins pure. We, we waited. That's a, that's, a, that's a goal to have. But when I say that in churches, they're like, ay bendito, that's so good. That, no, that's so good. Because no one's doing it anymore. That's why it's not celebrated. Just because has not been done doesn't mean we can't celebrate it. We need to celebrate the purity of family again. We need to wait, celebrate the, the, the purity of wait before you get married. Before you, because if you lust someone and not love them into marriage, you're going to divorce right away. A lot of people lust their way into marriage, and they say this. Hear me now. Uh, this is not in my nose. This is the Holy Ghost right now, okay? Listen to me. I used to make a mistake when I was a youth pastor, and I admit that was a mistake when I did because I had some knuckleheads in my youth group. So I would say to them, I would say to them, hey, if, you know, and that was wrong counsel. Look, if you just can't stop having sex, go ahead and get married with them. And then I realized God rebuked me and says, don't say that anymore. Because you're, give, you're lusting your way into a covenant relationship, and then once you got it, you don't love them, and you're out two years later. So my counsel changed, and they said, well, we just can't have stop and stop and sex, so we got as well married. I said, no, you're not. Don't you, don't you use that to get married just to fulfill your lustful ways? Because if you don't love them, it's only going to last for a couple of months, a couple of years. You better not be falling in love with a body. You better not be falling in love with a face. Better not be falling in love with a talent or a gifting or money. (laughs) I was going to say something else. Dumpies on gold diggers. (laughs) 
All right, I got it out of my system, okay? The reason why divorce is rampant is because we don't know the foundation for marriage. Don't fall in love with the first person that's cute, that gives you attention. I'm talking about grown-up people, too. I'm not talking about just youth. I'm talking about grown-ups. It hurts the family when you rush in and, and, and do that. Again, not condemning anyone who's been going through some stuff. Please, no. I'm only telling you that if you want to avoid severe hurt, tear, it hurts. Thank God I never got divorced, but those people who have known to have, they have, it's, it's been uh, excruciating for them. And the enemy wants to do that. So that's a sign. Come on, say amen. Are you getting something for a fracture in the family? The sec- a second sign for a fracture in the family is undealt with sin against God and against your family. Some of you, the reason why there's a fracture in your family because there's some undealt sin in your family. And maybe that's something that you're keeping private right now. But it's affecting your family. Can I get deep and raw? Do you guys allow me? If you don't get help for some addictions that you have, you're going to silently destroy your family. If you're, if you're addicted to certain things privately... It's going to affect. That's sin against God and sin against your spouse and your, and your family. Do you know that the Lord told me something and, and like years ago, and I, I was like, oh, my God. Jesus said, for their sake, I consecrate myself. What? He's like, I'm not only consecrating myself because I love the Father. He's like, for their sake, I need to be pure so they could be pure. Some of us are preaching purity, but we're not practicing purity in our family. Deal with the addictions and the sins so that it will no longer wound your family anymore. If you're addicted to certain things like pornography, I guarantee you, you're not going to look at your spouse the same way. Serious. If you're addicted to anger, if there's anger problems, you're not going to see your children the way that God wants them to see them. If you are bound with bitterness and unforgiveness, guess what? You're going to be cranky all the time. All the time. And I hear, I'm, I was going to wait till like week three to say this, but I'm just going to say it now because I feel the Holy Spirit saying it. Marriage was not attend, intended to make you happy. It was intended to make you holy. <laughs> Marriage, if you're happy, praise God. But that's not the singular motive for why you get married. Your marriage is supposed to be a covenant before God. And I'm telling you, you will start seeing stuff about you that you never saw you had. And I said, Lord, what's wrong with me? And the Lord says, this always been in you, son. I'm allowing marriage to expose it out of you. Marriage is not meant to make you happy. It's meant to make you holy. Do you know that the Bible says that if we are not praying right and we don't treat our wives right, husbands, you know what the Bible says in 1 Peter? That our prayers will be affected. He says you're praying. He goes, you better be careful to treat your wife right lest your prayers be affected. What? Don't tell me. See, that's the reason why we get quickly divorced because we're looking for marriage to make us happy. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a dessert. But it shouldn't be the foundation. It should be love. It should be the voice of the Lord. And I'm telling you, anybody, married folks, can you say amen to that? It will make you holy, my brother. Help me, Lord. I wish I had a little hanky right now. 
marriage will make you holy if you submit to it. Man, I thank God for my feisty Puerto Rican wife. Glory to God. Thank God for that extra muscle back in there. You get it yourself. And God's like, I saw that. I'm like, okay. I've become a holy man. I'm serious. Because, because the Lord has used marriage to strip some things out of me. And if I could be honest, to expose a lot of weak areas in my life. But guess what? Let marriage do that. But the other side of the coin is people who are married, when the other person is going through that, that thing with you, don't, be, don't kick them while they're on the ground. See, I told you, I, I told you, well, you shouldn't have done that. I'm, I'm apologizing. Come on, man. I'm getting real here. Some of, some of, you, you, some of you, you need to understand, if, if someone's doing something wrong and they apologize to you, don't kick them while they're apologizing. I told, well, I told you to do it. See, I apologized to you three times. <laughs> Let me just, okay, the, thir- the third one. I, The third sign, I'm almost done. Are you enjoying this? The third sign of a fractured family unit is family neglect. Hear me now. Neglecting our biblical role to meeting the needs of our family. Hear me now. Zoom in. You could be in your family and not be present in your family. You may not have a divorce, but you may not be present. Oh, come on, somebody. Come on. Come on, somebody. Just because you are not divorced and may there not be any drama in your household, if all you do is come in and do whatever you do and never spend time with people. Like we, me and my wife, we're not perfect, but we have a practice of going out on, on dates to refuel our relationship. Yesterday we went to Caraba's, glory to God. But you know what? It was no special occasion. And she texted me. She goes, do you want to go on a date today? I go, Yes. Man, when my wife said, you want to go on a date? I'm like. And we went on a date. And, and, and times where, where I try to spend time with my sons, even though through my affliction, it's time. You have to spend time. And watch. You know what me and my wife and my kids do? And this is what I, I still do this. Praise God. This is a practice and a discipline that we do. And this is sometimes a curse word for some people. We, are you ready? Are you ready? We eat dinner together at the table. You're like, Mom, what's that? What, what is that? There's nothing wrong getting the food from the pot and going to your home, but that's not what the original family unit was intended. He says, you want, you're going to sit down and you're going to talk about the things of God. You're going to talk about what's happening. I always talk to Jade and John, hey, how is youth group? How is, doing, how is this? How, what, is, what is God teaching you? Because we need to be returned to being, listen, now, now husbands, please hear me now, be the priest of the home. Dictate the culture of your home, not just by what they watch on television, but by talking about the things of God with your family. What do I mean by neglect? I want the worship team to get up here, please. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to use practical stuff. What I mean by neglect, okay? Listen to me. Neglect is a silent killer. Ladies, I'm going to talk to you for a second. What would you, what would you do if... You never talk to your friends or you never talk to your husband. You never talk to your kids. 
and you only talk to them for two hours, like when you go to church. That's when you talk to them, right? Well, we do that sometimes with the Lord, right? And sometimes, and I'm not saying ladies only do this, one of the ways that, that I have studied and heard and seen through many years of counseling is one of the things that, that people do to silently get back at their spouse is they give them the silent treatment. I understand you feel justified in doing that, but let me tell you that that's going to break your marriage eventually. Healing comes through opening up. The book of James, confess your faults one to another that you may be what? Healed. If you're mad at your spouse or your son, the worst thing you could do is this. What's wrong? You know, you know what's wrong. Unspoken expectation will destroy your marriage. You have to talk about what you expect from each other. He should, he should know I don't like that kind of chocolate. And the, and the man's going, hey, honey. Thank you. What I do? You know what you did. I don't know what I did. You have to talk about your expectations because unspoken expectations will breed a spirit of offense. It will breed a spirit of offense. Matthew chapter 24 says something powerful, which I'm going to get to that in, in a second uh, about offense. But what do I mean by neglect? Make time for, watch this, simple things. Ready? Ready, guys? Eating dinner together. I'm just going to give you some pastoral tips. You don't have to do what I do, right? Here's some ways to spend time with your family. Spend time at the dinner table with them. Well, that's not us. Well, try it. Try sitting down and eating a meal together. Go to birthday parties. Go to their sports events. Do holiday functions together with family. Wedding ceremonies, graduations. Listen, this sounds unspiritual, but I, I'm, I'm telling you, some of you guys really need this. Go on vacation together. I don't got time for vacation. I need to work for my family. And your family's dying, my brother. Go take them out on a cruise. <laughs> Go take them out somewhere. Listen, men, you don't have to be all romantic and stuff, although that's nice. Be intentional to invite them somewhere. Hey, you always want to eat together? Want to get ice cream? You want to go to dinner? Let's do it together. But if you're just kind of in the background and passive and not want to do anything, it's good. that neglect is going to kill the family. Are you getting something? Two more and then we're going to close. Incidents that cause hurt and offense by family. Put that slide up. That results in the family relationship to be wounded or fractured. Please hear me. Incidents of offense. Everybody say offense. Do you know that there's a difference between a fracture and a break? Put this slide up. A relationship is wounded first before a relationship is broken. So by the time a relationship is broken, it has been wounded for a long time. A relationship is wounded first, long before a relationship is broken. You can live with a hairline fracture, and you could kind of still walk with a fracture. You will notice pain, but if you don't heal that, if you keep putting pressure on it, that fracture is going to be wider and wider and wider. And some of you are 
limping because you're not realizing that your fracture is about to have a clean break if you don't do something about it. Because the dynamics of family is so strong and, and binding, it takes many hurts and wounds for a family to finally break. Friendships break a little easier, but family, it takes pow, pow, pow. And the spirit of offense is rampant in the church today. Some of you are very offended at somebody or somebody's been offended at you and you're just allowing that fracture to go undealt with. And I'm pleading with you today that the Bible says in Matthew 24, verse 10, it says, in the last days, many will be offended at one another and they'll, listen, and they'll hate one another. That's what the Bible says, who, who is he talking to there? Christians, in the last days. Wounded, your words that you speak, how you speak to your family, the way you treat your family, all breed offense. Fractures happen, but we need to heal the fracture before it's broken. I got good news for you. If you are wounded by a fracture in your relationship, don't, oh, this is good. Please hear me. I'm hearing the Holy Spirit now. When you're wounded, the voice of the enemy becomes the loudest. When you're wounded, even in church, those of you who've been offended at church, you, you're not, you're not going to see truth that's right in front of your face because you're so offended by somebody else that supposedly did something. And half of the time, 90% of the time, the person that offended you doesn't even know that they offended you. I'm serious. I've had people offended by me. And they, they stopped coming to the church. And months later I said, hey, how you doing? They said, well, I'm not going to church anymore. We have dinner. And they said, because you know what? You passed by me and you neglect me. You didn't say hello to me. And you said hello to everybody else. And I thought that you were mad at me. I'm like, what? People, if you're offended in your family or church family, know this. That the voice of the enemy is going to be loudest. And you're going to, listen, the camouflage of offense is looking at all the supposedly wrong that's done to you and not realizing what it's actually doing inside of your heart. The camouflage of offense. In other words, the reason why offense is so effective in the church and in your life is because the enemy says, look, they don't care for you. Look, no one loves you. And that voice at that time is so loud and truth is right in front of your face. People can say hello to you all the time. Family can say hello to you all the time. But you're so hurt that offense blinds. That should, be, that should be a shirt. Offense blinds you from seeing the truth that's right in front of your face. I love you. I love you. I love you. I care for you. What's wrong with you? I'm reaching out to you. Nobody loves me. No one cares for me because no one said hello to me. Now I'm offended. I'm talking about myself. I'm not talking about anybody in particular here. They've done that to me. <laughs> Pastor, I'm offended at you. And you know how some people are offended, and I'm going to close uh, the next point, is sometimes when truth is spoken. I've had people tell me, you, you, sp you speak this way too much. You do this too much. I'm like, what can I do? This is me. I've been accused of, you know, speaking too hard, condemning people. I'm like, I'm not trying to condemn people. And people will get offended. They'll get hurt by that. How, how much more in your family? Think about your family now. Is there a fracture in your family? Don't raise your hand. Is there a fracture in your marriage? Talk about it. I said talk about it. I'm big on addressing the elephant in the room. Some of us, we have conversation in our family and a big elephant is going there, going like and we don't talk about what's happening there. 
with our kids. Thank you, Jesus. I'm closing with this. I, I, I don't, I don't want to get any more. I have a lot more, but I want to say this one last scripture. Two scriptures. Because what happens is when these hurts come, you barely start agreeing with things anymore. You start getting critical with people when you get hurt. You, you don't agree anymore with them. You don't want to spend time with them anymore. And you want that relationship to never be the same. Two scriptures and we're going to close. Amos 3.3. 3. Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they are agree upon? I'm not saying you have to agree on everything, but the goal of the enemy is to get you to bring such disagreement that you won't want restoration for your family. I'm going to skip because of time. I'm going to continue next week. But the last scripture is this. I want everyone to turn before we, before we close. Mark chapter 3, verse 22. Mark chapter 3. You guys, you can help me with this. Mark chapter 3, verse 22. Jesus was teaching, and he was accused by the Pharisees that he was casting out demons by Beelzebub, by the devil. Now, we'll look how this speaks and reads in the NLT. Because the NLT, to me, gives me a more powerful definition of the power of family. How many want to restore your marriages? How many want to restore your relationship with your kids? How many want to restore relationships, watch this, please hear me, with your, not only sons and daughters, but with your aunts and uncles? See, you guys don't want that, but I'm going to preach it anyways. Your grandpa, your grandfather, maybe he did you wrong. Maybe they did you wrong. You don't have to be best friends with them, but I'm going to ask you to be proactive because you have the spirit of reconciliation inside of you. Look what Jesus said about division. There's, there, there's no power in families when families are divided. The enemy strips away power that you have even against him at times when you are divided in family. Jesus said this. The teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, Jesus is possessed by Satan. <laughs> the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. Now, this is a golden principle that should be passed on through the ages. Look at the next verse. Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan? <laughs> Jesus was gangster sometimes. You think Satan's going to say, in the name of Satan, come out, Satan. Now, watch this. Watch what he says. Are you ready for this? A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Watch this. Look at this. Similarly, all this, everybody say this. A family. Everybody say family. Splintered. That's, that's fractured. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. Say that again. A family that is splintered by feuding will fall apart. And therefore, you will strip your authority in that season of your life. Similarly, let, keep going to the last verse. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? Watch this. He will never survive. I lovingly tell you, if you stay in that prideful path, if you stay in that angry path that, no, they hurt me, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to listen, I'm not going to listen, I'm not going to listen, 
You know what the Bible says? It will destroy you. It will eventually destroy you. God wants us to be intentional to apologize sometimes. Can I just be a shepherd for a moment? Don't be afraid to apologize first even when you're right. Did I do anything to offend you? Did I do something? When I find out people are offended by me, I'll be honest with you, 90% of the time I'm shocked because I never do it on purpose. I'm offended by pastor. And the old PG and maybe the old us, you know what we would say? That's just their immaturity. You know what I say now? Did I, what did I do? I know my identity. I'm not, I'm not saying that I don't. But I want to humble myself and say, did I do something? Because you know what the key to reconciliation is? Is the fact that maybe, just maybe, just maybe, you had something to do with hurt as well. And now what we're asking today, I want everyone to stand up. I know there's some people getting touched by the Holy Spirit now while I'm preaching. I know there's the Holy Spirit is doing some things, maybe making you a little uncomfortable. But the reason why is because it's time to unite again. I want to tell you one big story, then we're going to pray. I feel led to do something different today when we pray for families. Did you hear the word of the Lord today? Listen to me, please. There was one time in the Old Testament, I can't find of a greater time, a more powerful time in the Old Testament, where God had to disrupt unrighteous unity because they were unified so much that God says, if they continue in this unity, their unrighteous unity, the Tower of Babel, they were so unified that the Bible says, watch this, are you ready for this? It's not, it's not me. Nothing will be impossible for them. That's what the Bible says. They were so unified in an unrighteous way that the Lord says, I got to break this up because if not, they're going to bring that, that unrighteous unity will be like a gangrene in the, in, the, in the nation of Israel. So he divided them. And you know the story. Therefore, all the languages came. Well, how much more if family unity happens? How much more, listen, if righteous unity happens? What would happen if we contend? What would happen if all of us would take the Jewish creed like the Jewish people do it and sit down and talk about how much we love the Lord every day when we sit in our house? What if we have a vision to pass down biblical principles to the next generation? What if we were intentional about getting on the phone and saying, aunt, mom, brother, sister, hey, listen, I know it's been years. But you know what? I just want to let you know, if I did anything to hurt you, please forgive me. And seek to reconcile relationships, but leave the rest to God. If they don't want to reconcile, that's on them. But you do have a ministry of reconciliation. God has put it inside of you. Some of you, you need to forgive yourself. Some of you, you need to forgive your parents. And some kids, you need to say, you know what? I, 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 I didn't like the way that I, was, I grew up or I had a divorce and it got me really mad and, 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 and rebellious. Well, God is speaking to you today. He's speaking to you today to come back home. He's speaking to you today that there's another chance. He's speaking to you today that even if, like, like, um, like Keela, Keela, yes, that grew up in a single parent home, her profession is, is going to be marriage counseling. Don't disqualify your ability 
to restore broken relationships just because you came out of a broken relationship. As a matter of fact, those that are gone through broken relationships have more qualifications and more oil on them because of the crushing process that it took. And that crushing of the oil and that crushing of the grapes produced a gush of oil to say, I've been through it. And now I know the hurt and the devastation of this, and I'm going to help people get out of it. Come on, lift up your hands to the Lord. Lift up your hands to the Lord, and we're going to worship, and then we're going to do something just very specific in families today. Come on, lift up your hands right now. Come on, say, Lord, speak to me. Come on, say, Lord, speak to me. Not just my spouse, not just my children. Come on, speak to me. Come on, everyone say, Lord, speak to me. What's my responsibility? Come on, I have. Everybody say this, I have. The spirit of reconciliation inside of me, which is the ability to heal fractured and broken relationships. I have the power by the person of the Holy Spirit to reconcile a broken relationship. So today, speak to me to see what my involvement is. Speak to me to see how I can be proactive. Come on, lift up your hands right now. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.